0: Welcome to the collective voice of health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode three of the collective voice of health IT, a Weedy podcast. On this podcast, we talk with prominent healthcare thought leaders about key themes and topics in healthcare IT, both current and emerging. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Zealous is a healthcare and financial technology company located in beautiful Bedminster, New Jersey. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W E D I, Weedy, and Weedy is the producer of this podcast. I'd also like to introduce this podcast producer, Michael McNutt, Director of Education and Events for Weedy. Michael, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing excellent, Matthew. Thank you very much. Two days away from vacation.
0: <laughs> good, good for you. <laughs> uh, I envy you. Uh, Wheedy is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And we are especially excited about our guest today on the collective voice of health IT, John Zimmerman and Robert Connolly. I'm sorry, John Zimmerman, Chief Executive Officer of Holon Solutions, and Robert Connolly, Holon's Chief Strategy and Product Officer. John Zimmerman has been a part of Weedy for many years. He's been a board member and was former chair of the Weedy Foundation. In 2014, he was awarded Weedy's Lewis Sullivan Award, named after the Secretary of HHS that started Weedy, for his dedication and work toward administrative simplification in healthcare. Robert Conley was part of the founding team of Novo Innovations, and he followed the company as it was sold to Medicity and then to Aetna, where Robert served as vice president of product. Robert then returned to being an entrepreneur by co-founding Carematics and then On Solutions. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Matthew. Great to be here with the Weedy family. Terrific. Uh, I'm excited to talk to John and Robert today because one of their favorite subjects is one of my favorite subjects, and, and that is how are we going to bring together clinical data, electronic health records and the like, and healthcare administrative data, billing and payments. Uh, when are we going to make those two worlds to come together or at least work better together, uh, but we'll come to that. I'll tell you what. Let's start. Um, you know, in our short term producing this program, one of our traditions is to ask about origin stories, if you will. Right? How uh, thought leaders like yourselves came to be in healthcare. Uh, so far we've had uh, Ferris Taylor at at HCEG, who started off as a nuclear engineer, and Steve Posnack from ONC, who was started out at eBay. Uh, how do you? How did you both find yourselves, or pushed or pulled uh, into uh, into healthcare as a business? Who would you
1: like to go to first, Matthew? Hey, let's start with you, John. Okay. <laughs> well, um, here goes a very long but quick story. Uh, back in 1989, there was a company called Shared Medical Systems or SMS that subsequently became Siemens that subsequently was acquired by Cerner. Back in those days, we were doing a lot of uh, administrative processing, you know, claims, uh, claims administration, all that on the provider side. And they had a vision of being able to share data electronically between payers and providers, because back in that in those days, it was HICFA 1500s and a number of other paper claim forms. So they didn't know what to do, so they went to my employer, IBM, and said, who knows about these things? Who knows about sort of uh, the exchange of information? And so it was they They came to me because I was the systems engineer for IBM on the largest bank in Philadelphia known as CoreStates Financial, the owner of the MAC network. They had a shared ATM network that was centrally controlled. So I went and talked to Shared Medical and I said, Well, you know, what it sounds like is the payers sound like the providers sound like ATMs and the payers sound like that central repository of information that needs to be shared. So we were able to convey those designs to shared medical systems, and they said, that's what we want to be. We want to be the ability to sit in front of all the payers for all of the providers who use our systems on a remote network. So it was at that moment that the electronic data interchange for online eligibility verification was born. So the next year I became part of the IBM team that took care of shared medical systems, I fell in love with healthcare because of all the <laughs> impact that we can make. And that was thirty plus years ago and I haven't left since. I, I think that's terrific. Taking from the, the
0: financial industry, uh the financial industry and bringing it into healthcare, and I, and that's why some I think some of these origin stories are so interesting too, because you see that people are bringing uh, their ideas from other uh, industry sectors or even other uh, disciplines, uh, and they're bringing it to, to bear on healthcare. Uh, and uh, uh, Robert, I understand yours was uh, much more of a family affair. What what, <laughs> what brought you into healthcare?
2: That's right, Matt. So. I feel like I was sort of born into it a little bit. I I remember when I was little, my father and grandfather would bicker around the the dinner, you know, dining room table about managed care capitation in the 80s and 90s. And then we had the Chins and the Rios and then the HIEs thereafter. So when I set off to school, I I went for computer science. And we actually had a program project at one point where I went to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia and started taking a bunch of to help folks start a PhD program over there. And so the goal was to try and find ways to present data and clinical courseware on site at the the university system. I used some of my father's technology to, to do that project and sort of think about how do you asynchronously move data from one place to another where the power is intermittent. And what happened from there is you know, I ended up joining Dad um, in a specific project where we wanted to use the same technology to actually help hospitals deploy lab results, discharge summaries, those sorts of things to EMRs in the ambulatory setting, in order to better compete with the large reference labs themselves. And so, from there, we you know, sort of uh, turned it into a health information exchange sort of pattern, working with some folks that um, we ran into out west, and then, of course. Um, moved on to the payer side of the world from that point forward. So uh, I have really loved healthcare all along the path. I feel like the technologies that are available in other markets are poised so well to be utilized in this space. And so I'm continually looking and evaluating other opportunities and avenues to to help and assist in the propagation of technology and innovation in our world of healthcare. So very excited about where we are, where we're going.
0: Uh, I I love in, in both of your stories, what really comes out is a, a passion, right? You, you actually use almost romantic language and and I think that's <laughs> reflective of many people in healthcare. Uh, they really fall in love with with you know, not just what's going on and day to day savings of lives, but but also where healthcare can go and and the promise of of the United States uh, healthcare system. So uh, John, you haven't quite come to your uh, one year anniversary as CEO of Holon Solutions, but uh, maybe you can give us a little elevator speech about um, what Holon Solutions is all
1: about, what they're doing, what they're up to. Sure, Uh, thank you for for that. Um, The basic point is this. In the exchange of information, it is terribly important to be able to get the right context set for what the user is trying to do. And if you're going to bring information from an outside source, it has to be contextually correct, workflow efficient, and actually adding value to their business operations. Those are three things that are kind of must-haves to make a difference to, to deal with some of the fragmentation that we see. So when I met Rob and the team, I was astounded by how well and how elegantly they were able to actually solve those two problems. So they have capabil has capabilities to be able to dynamically set relevant context in any user's workflow in any system. Period. So that was exciting. But they also did it with you know some of the some of the principles of EDI that they were able to take it from multiple different sources but make it look the same and useful to the end users where they need to get knowledge from population health management or payer systems directly there's a number of useful applications so when i saw that and i saw the problems that they were solving in michigan and arizona i said i got to push all my chips in there's this is this could be a crowning achievement for really making a difference. So that's what they do and why I'm here. Very good, very
0: good. Thank you, John. And and you mentioned the term fragmentation. I wanna get back to that in just a minute, but maybe I wanna pull back uh, kind of a higher level. In terms of uh, healthcare data and health IT in general and and the coronavirus, what, what were we prepared to do or, or what worked well uh, in terms of health IT and health data and facing that pandemic uh, that wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had in place a couple of years ago? And, and maybe the flip side of that coin, um, what, what, what is the promise in a couple of years that would make us better prepared uh, for some a pandemic of, of that size anytime in the future? And, and maybe I'll start with you again, John, and, and Robert, if you've got some input into that.
1: Yeah, let me. Uh, I will start, and here's uh, here's a couple of quick, quick things. First of all, it, it can't go without saying that we have an incredible and deep appreciation for the healthcare workers who have ke- helped keep us as safe as possible and as strong as possible uh, through this pandemic. So, our heart here, and our here. appreciation goes out to them. Number one. Number two, You know, telehealth didn't just happen, right? It has been, if you will, getting started, getting through a number of innovation and experiments. Then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and telehealth goes front and center and they have to be able to deliver and hats off to all the telehealth vendors and the people who've made it happen because it has become almost part of the new, not almost, they're part of the new normal. So we just accelerated about 10 years of innovation. So I think that was probably one of the best things that happened, and we were reasonably well prepared for that, and again, the vendors have done a great job. Where that leaves us, though, is there's a lot of care coordination and a lot of multi-setting things, and in Weedy knows that there's a lot of payments and codes and other things that need to be sort of re-looked at because the world has gone mobile, right? The worker is more mobile, the care is mobile, and telehealth has made a huge difference to enable us and enable the care workers to help us with that. So that's the big ones for me. Rob, do you have anything you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, I I think, you know, as we look at what happened and how the teams of so many different vendors came together collectively to track what was happening at the point of need when there was a plurality of different contexts and a lot of um, changing evidence on the the way that folks were operating and and how they were actively managing utilization at that same time in in sort of a real time fashion was, for one, astounding to watch from the side. And of course, as we sort of Rolled up our sleeves together and wanted to focus on where could our technologies help in in these you know network performance and how do we know where resources were um, you know starting to become strained in certain parts of the community. That's where having contextual, appropriate, precision information at that point of need becomes paramount to everyone's success. We got to know what's going on first. And further, I feel like. There's going to be two waves after this. You know, we, we know what technology and analytics is providing for visual, you know, um, for awareness, but what's going to happen coming afterward when you know we have all of the elective surgeries and other things that might start to really balloon, uh, in and the resources that are going to take to service all of that
0: terrific I, I think two things i want to pull out of uh, both of your responses which i thought was interesting first that idea that healthcare has gone digital and 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 you use telehealth as an example but certainly digital insurance of data and we're doing everything on our mobile mobiles and and also Ah, uh, frankly, you know, society's gone digital. So, so now we're uh, every restaurant out there is is saying that all of their apps are are being used, you know, twenty, forty, fifty percent more than they were before this. We, we, so it's all gone digital. Uh, and the other aspect, I think, what you point out, Robert, is we're 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 just at phase one. Uh, in in terms of how we're responding to this pandemic, so we're, we're, there's some immediate needs. Uh, elective surgeries got shut down. Uh, we had to um, fight the uh, pandemic a, on its face, but we're going to face other uh, uh, stages of this that the healthcare industry has never seen before. Uh, just like you said, the elective surgeries coming back, uh, uh, the maintenance of healthcare. Uh, you know, the dentists are are bringing back uh, uh, bringing back the patients uh, just for their their yearly checkups. So it feels like um, there's a lot more kind of issues that are going to come to the surface as we move to stage two and as we emerge, hopefully, from uh, from the pandemic and the emergency uh, point of this stage. Um, When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with John and uh, Zimmerman and Robert Connolly of Holon Solutions. Uh, For now, let's take a quick break and hear more about Weedy from our producer, Michael McNutt.
1: The preeminent national membership association for health IT guidance and collaboration, Weedy has earned the title of being an instrumental force in engaging public and private partnerships, facilitating discussions, and providing a collaborative voice as a national healthcare advisor to provide meaningful changes for the American healthcare system. Become a member and provide national leadership that enhances the exchange of clinical and administrative healthcare information. Join one of our various work groups where Weedy members collect input, exchange ideas, and make recommendations that inspire impactful and far-reaching change in our industry. Learn more about how you can make a difference at weedy.org.
0: We're back and we're talking with John Zimmerman, CEO of Holon Solutions, and Robert Connolly, Holon's Chief Strategy and Product Officer, on another episode of The Collective Voice of Health IT. That's a weedy podcast. Uh, I think that the the holy grail, at least for me, of healthcare data is combining of the clinical data, uh, the EHRs, uh, what happens you know, in, 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 the, in the hospital rooms and in the, in the physician's rooms, and the administrative claims and billing data, and pulling those two, uh, I'll call them streams of data, those two worlds into a shared stream. Uh, that to me is a holy grail, but maybe I'll stop there and ask you, John, uh, do I have that right? Is that where we're headed? Is that that idea that everything's gonna be working out fine and we're gonna work like a fine-tuned engine when healthcare gets to that point uh, uh, once we, we, we marry those two streams? Uh, do I have that right?
1: Well, um, I have to say sort of. And here's, <laughs> <laughs> here's why, sort of from my experience, some, some of that is that's happening. I'll talk about that. Um, so some of that is happening now, and I also think we have to be super careful and smart about where we go from here. So I think when, when clinical and administrative data does get brought together, but taken through smart algorithms, great insights can happen. And until that happens, those insights are missing. Some examples of those insights are gaps in care protocols that are not happening. They can be surfaced. That's really important or gaps in mis-coding mis- uh, things that are maybe too high, too low, things that are just completely missed. That also comes in when you bring all that information together. So that's a good thing if you can use it to drive analytics and knowledge. It, is, it can be, though, quite overwhelming if you try and shove all that into somebody's workflow without considering what they're trying to do right then. So I think as clinical and administrative data begins to be uh, better parsed and better mingled, it's critical to understand what the providers are trying to do with that com- combined data to be able to, A, serve the patients as as best they can with all the knowledge available right there within their workflow, and B, ensure that there is a concept of appropriateness so when a, a clinical person does suggest a therapy or a diagnosis that there's appropriate clinical evidence to do that. If and when that happens, we will be able to take out a lot of administrative burden from trying to establish shared concepts of appropriateness in the process of care between payers and providers. So
0: I, I like that. And I, if I could maybe translate that, I, I think maybe my mistake in thinking was if only we had a better mouse trap and made the perfect mousetrap, right, then everything would be set and this would work well. But you're saying that, well, we have to figure out if mouse are really the problem, like if there's any mice to catch, right? You, you don't want to Develop the wrong machine without knowing what you need the machine for. Um, I, 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 I love that idea and also that dependence that sometimes we all get into is if only the technology were better, then everything would flow. You used a very organic word, I think, insight. Uh, and insights only come from human beings. I don't think we've taught uh, machines to give us insight yet. So um, I can see that my I, I'm fallible on another a number of points there of, of of dreaming too big and thinking that once we had a machine, then it it all be worked. Um, I think um it, you know touching on on something you said about gaps. Um, I, I know you're concerned with waste and underperformance in healthcare. And I, I think we can all understand the waste, right? I think the industry remains incredibly paper heavy. Um, I mean, uh, it's surprising, right, that you came to healthcare through the bank system and the and the healthcare was gonna model itself over ATMs and the bank system, but you look at where those two industries are now and and banking looks, it's uh, decades ahead of, of healthcare. Um, but what do you mean by underperformance? Uh, who or what is underperforming? I feel like everybody in healthcare works uh, 20 hours a day. So what's the performance part of that?
1: Yeah, it's a great, great question. Uh, For me, when I define kind of underperformance, it's in the context of uh, new value-based care contracts. So between payers and providers or providers who are payers, they try to figure out, okay, based on this population, this is the health, these are the protocols, these are the disease states that we see, this is the way we think it should be. Okay? This is what we believe that our provider network should be able to do in terms of quality outcomes, throughput, access, a number of different parameters. Sort of the conundrum is that, that a lot of that information is knowable and known and can be made available. Unless that information and those packages of knowledge actually get into the network to be able to deliver the most appropriate care or the best coordination of care across parties, then the the provider network side doesn't perform to its peak or its expectations. So that's driven in part because of fragmentation of systems and fragmentation of businesses. So now that we're starting to see alignments of incentives, we're also hopefully getting into a new era of the ability to align the information flow to support those incentives so the networks can perform to their very best for the patients.
0: Good. So you use that term fragmentation. Uh, let uh, Dive into that a bit for me. What's the distinction between system fragmentation and what you said was business fragmentation? Sure. And then... Marry that again for incentives for me?
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's look at a typical practice and look sort of back into the world that affects them. How many payers do they have? Three, five, ten, sometimes more, okay? In those payers, how many of the payers' information systems or, in fact, incentives and programs look alike? They don't. So some payers can have three to four different or five different relationships with a practice. So multiply all of those different businesses that that practice has to deal with on the payer side, look forward to their network and see all the specialists that they need to figure out. That's a lot of parties that they have to understand that are under different ownership and under different metrics. That's an example of fragmentation. Each one of them have different IT systems that the provider's IT system has to figure out how to deal with. And when they don't, that will get phone calls, faxes, web portal visits, all kinds of things that actually don't help the delivery of care. They're just things you have to do. Uh, Interesting. So another consequence of the pandemic
0: is the the crippling financial loss, I think, to many hospitals and providers. Um, You talk about fragmentation uh, of systems, fragmentation of businesses. Is that financial loss, that setback, does that that open opportunity for innovation? Does that uh, speed up the necessity to, to solve the fragmentation problem? or does it set us back uh, because, you know, providers just don't have the bandwidth or the the financial wherewithal uh, to push it forward? How how do you think that impacts um, maybe not just the fragmentation but, you know, our health IT data goals in general?
1: Yeah, I think it puts a lot of pressure on us because, you know, when information technology is deployed well, right, it actually solves problems and creates new efficiencies and better outcomes. So I think it's going to put a lot of pressure in a couple of different ways. First of all, we know that the states are going to take on more burden because of the unemployment is going to create more burden on the state uh, benefits and the Medicaids. So that's going to push more people pretty quickly in large waves into the federally qualified health centers and the community health centers. So It's going to be super important for them, for their medical histories, to be able to become available, number one, and then to have these protocols for most efficient and effective care be available within the workflows of those settings of care. That's one way to deal with it. It doesn't fix all the other problems. but. We have to be ready to do that, not unlike the rise of telehealth to be able to handle those things. So I think there's going to be a big wave of pressure to get to efficiency and appropriateness appropriateness, very quickly. And we want to make sure we're, we're part of that uh, wave to, to make a difference and help. Rob, do you want to add anything to that? You've been in this world quite a while as well.
2: Sure. And I think, you know, to underscore what you're saying the folks, you know, in, in our in our industry, we have been inundated with activity. We have to worry about measurable quality improvements at the same time as running a business and creating consistent clinical protocols, while actively controlling utilization and proving uh, network performance every day. So I think what needs to happen as we think about this sort of war on fragmentation, if you will, or the combining of the clinical and administrative data that's out there networks need to know you know what is the network doing how should we do what we need to do who's doing what where and when and i think that's where the analytics that we've really seen shine through this pandemic really come to fully harvesting the value that they've set forward to create so i i think that we're in a new wave where you know the the necessity is the mother of invention here and through this pandemic we've really found that many different vendors and systems have come together to start building that workflow-based cohesion across the networks entirely. So I'm really excited to see what folks do when they pull together the quality measure side of the world with the you know need to run the business and manage utilization sides and also actively engage telemedicine along the path.
0: Good. I, I like the uh... I do like the uh, optimism of of both of you uh, on this. And and as we're talking about the pandemic, and, and we've kind of touched on that there'll probably be stages of of uh, of growth or or stages of development that the healthcare industry is going to have to go through as as we work through it, um, maybe you can uh, pull back, uh, John. You've got three decades uh, in healthcare. Uh, Robert, you've been at it for nearly two decades, but it sounds like you were in it uh, from the womb. Um, <laughs> any any broad thoughts you have about our healthcare system's direction after COVID 19, and and it doesn't have to be about health IT, but uh, what what is your vision for the future, two years from now, five years from now for for the healthcare system, uh, Robert? Why don't we start with you?
2: Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll. I think it needs to. We need to give more power back to the providers and and, and help them govern and further the goals of innovation and integration in our our whole ecosystem of healthcare. I think a lot of the fragmentation that we momently, you know, momentarily talked about just a second ago um, really took a lot of control away from the direct provider. And the providers have been inundated with checkbox medicine. Um, they haven't had all of the most appropriate clinical decision support tools at the ready in order to make the right decisions at the right time in the the settings that they find themselves in, at the points of care. And because they're the tip of the sword at the end of the day uh, for providing and bettering the trajectory of healthcare for all of the members and patients that we see each day, giving them more power back and tools necessary to capitalize and harvest on those value propositions for measurable quality improvements and managing utilization differently, uh, I think that's where we're going to see a, a difference and a shine coming out of this um, fully. But again, a lot of them may move to new technologies such as te- telemedicine. They may also start to leverage EMR technologies differently. And the cooperation between the provider and the payer sides of the world are coming together more and more as we see every day. So I think these two worlds combining and giving more control and, and confidence back to providers and tools to capitalize on and harvest value is paramount to our success going forward, and I'm very excited about it.
0: Rob, Robert, I think you you bring a very unique, uh, I think, perspective, or at least a perspective I haven't heard. Um, what I keep hearing is, you know, we got to this is driving consumer driven health care and we've got to put power back in the consumer. And while I think there's uh, absolutely some truth to that, and I think COVID-19 has has pushed it as, as well as telehealth and everything else along with it, I think your idea of power back to the provider uh, is very intriguing. And I think you're right. I think you're talking about very fertile ground for uh, future innovation and, and let the providers uh, um, you know, give the providers some authority and technology and uh, the wherewithal to, to to push to make the
2: next step. Exactly, I think the consumer is is a natural evolution for most folks who aren't in healthcare coming in and trying to um, make a difference. Because at the end of the day, it is the consumer's choice and navigation of the system. But to the provider, they are the proxy to the consumer. They have lived this world and understand its nuanced details. And I feel like providing value and power back to them ultimately really improves the experience for all consumers going forward.
0: Good, excellent, John. What do you think? Any uh,
2: view on the uh,
1: on where healthcare is going to be? Uh, yeah, I loved Rob's answers, and especially in empowering the providers more. I think the other things that we see to complement that is a you know just from a pure technological perspective, there's going to be a continued technological convergence. There is a lot of value uh, continually to be created in things like remote patient monitoring. We know that chronic diseases are continuing to eat up the budget. I think COVID's gonna introduce more or a new chronic disease category that nobody quite understands yet, but it will be here. And I think it's super important for us to understand that and how to apply those convergences of technology, telehealth, tele monitoring, the analytics to be able to determine appropriateness and get that power back in the hands of the, of the clinical staff that's actually helping take care of us. And last but certainly not least, I think there's going to be less people going to doctors and more doctors going to people through these telecommuting methods. I think that die has been cast. We've crossed the Rubicon. We're in a new era. Now let's make the best of it.
0: Very interesting. I think you, you both are kind of shifting uh, the framework that I, uh, I had, at least before this discussion. Uh, the idea of the doctor going to the patient— uh, Very good. Well, thank you, uh, John and Robert. This has been a great discussion with John Zimmerman, Zimmerman, CEO of Holon Solutions, and Robert Connolly, Holon's Chief Strategy and Product Officer. One of Weedy's primary functions is to keep health plans and hospitals and other providers educated on health IT. And you've both provided us content and and been a part of that education for many years. Uh, I look forward to you joining us again, uh, John and Robert. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org, W E D I.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.